Hi, everyone. Welcome to Two Guys in Search of an Argument. Thanks for joining us. Um, we are, um, I'm, I am here today with face to face my two co hosts, uh, Jim. Hi, Jim. Hi, John. And Peggy. Hi, Peggy. Hi, John. And we have a really special guest today. And Hi, Sharon. Before we get to our special guest, John, maybe we should mention that we're in Chicago at the Miller Street Studio. We are. We're in Chicago and at also, the Miller Street Studio. We're more than in Chicago. We're in Pilsen. And well, yes, which that is, that is worth and specifying. Before we forget, and before we get involved in this intense discussion we're about to have, we should perhaps say, since this is our last podcast before the holidays, we should say Happy Holidays and Merry Christmas to all our faithful twelve listeners. Yeah, and Happy New Year. It's all going to be happening. Absolutely. So happy holidays. Yeah, that's great. All right, now. Well, so our guest is Sharon Post. Now, Sharon and I met, God, three years ago at a kind of in Uptown, a different neighborhood of Chicago, through my husband. And we've had conversations about just about everything from, I don't know, books and movies and arts, symphonies to healthcare and jobs and learning how to play the guitar and travel. And one of the things we've talked about a lot has been our have been our experiences in New York City and Chicago. And so today we're going to have a conversation about a lot of things. It'll probably vary, but we're mainly talking about our experiences and our kind of uh our some connections between New York and Chicago and maybe some uh some of the um uh, some of the things that we haven't talked about before. So having said that, Sharon does Sharon, have you ever had the misfortune to listen to one of these podcast episodes? No, I've I don't know that I've ever really listened to a podcast at all. Okay. Well then so, you're our target audience. Welcome to my way. world. Um, but the reason that the conversation will drift is because John is incapable of actually remembering what the topic is supposed to be or actually staying on the topic. So it's one of the things I take pride in. Yes. Creativity. So, yeah, so yeah, so we're talking about New York. So what do you think of New York? I love New York. I feel like I used when I first moved to Chicago, I would tell people I moved here from Brooklyn. To avoid saying I was from New Jersey, because there was still, you know, there's a stigma attached to New Jersey, especially in New York, because of the people who come to New York from New Jersey on the weekends, um, the bridge and Were tunnel you crowd. One of those people? Sometimes, not too often. I was well. I, I didn't have a leather jacket. I didn't have a lot of product in my hair, so I wasn't like the stereotypical person from New Jersey. And I wasn't going to the clubs so much. Um, but you did, in fact, come from New Jersey. Yeah. How long did you live in New Jersey? You were born in New Jersey. I was born in New Jersey, and I lived there until I was. 18 and then i lived there again until i was like 21 or so have you ever actually lived in new york yeah i lived in brooklyn for five or six years and when was that later that was 2000 to 2005 ish yeah and then when did you come to chicago after that yeah i came to so so i did move to chicago from brooklyn but i'm from new jersey i grew up in new jersey i'm not embarrassed by it anymore it was a sort of a silly hang-up to be to not want to say you're a big fan of chris christie for example of course, you know, he likes Bruce Springsteen. See, why'd you move? Uh, why'd you move from Brooklyn to Chicago? I actually got a job. I actually got two job offers. One was in New York and one was in Chicago. And that was the big decision of uh, whether to take the one that kept me in New York. But that would be a lot of like driving around to Long Island or go to Chicago. Um, and this was with the, the Service Employees International Union. I was an intern and I got offered these two jobs. And one of them was with a local for the building service workers, the security guards and doormen and all that. And it was a local that already existed that was big, that was powerful, and it would be a lot of driving around to various sites. And um, and the job in offer in Chicago was for a campaign uh, that was starting a new union for hospital members or adding members to an existing local union. But it was a new – it was a fight. So at the time, being sort of young and passionate, I thought, one – I sort of want to go where the fight is, right? I don't want to be. Oh, I don't want to be the one who's protecting the power someone else built up, and the and and it had this very heavy union bureaucratic feel when I was interviewing there, um, which is you know part of the game, you know. But I really, I that my feeling about the job offers was Chicago's where the fight is, where we're, there, there was no, there was very few. Uh, organized healthcare workers and the unions were weaker in that sector. So it was more about the job than the city per se. Well, that was the part of the decision that was motivated by the job. The part that was motivated by the city was that I had lived in Chicago when I when I left New Jersey for the first time in my life. I went to Chicago to start school at the University of Chicago. Oh, uh, so 1997, 1998, I was I was living in Chicago in High Park, which is Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> and so did you, Not did everyone you like important to, important to define us. Right. Did you like going to school in Chicago? I 
I liked, yeah, I liked it. I learned a lot. I I have friends that I still have from from being there just for a year and a quarter. Uh, probably wasn't the right time for me um, uh, to be uh, maybe living in a new city. So I ended up sort of scurrying back home. Uh, but when the job offer came up in the year 2000, or no, 2005, 2005, to move to Chicago, uh, there was this fact that I had lived in Chicago and I had enjoyed it. And my partner at the time, Paul, had lived in Chicago and had enjoyed it. And so it wasn't brand new and it seemed like a place we could go back to. And we had this sort of feeling that maybe we were done with New York, that New York had felt sort of, neither of us made a lot of money, my partner and I. So, you know, it's a totally different experience living in any city with or without money. And New York certainly was a very different experience um, from living in Chicago because they're different cities. But I also was broke most of the time in New York and had like a bunch of roommates, um, so, uh, so I guess we thought maybe we could start over and I, I would have a job with a salary, right. And he would eventually get a job with a salary. And it seemed like that was, that could be a good, a good life, I guess. I don't I know. I feel like, I feel bad we're talking about New York and Chicago. When I, I think I didn't remember you were from New Jersey. Well, New York, the tri-state area, you okay. know. So what were you studying? Well, in New York and but when I lived in LA, people used to say in LA that Chicago was the East Coast. Oh, yeah. Well, people say that about LA Ohio. Is. That's, yeah. Well, I want to know what you were studying at the University of Chicago. Well, I, I didn't stay long enough to have to declare a mo- major. Okay, so that was your, was that your freshman <laughs> but I, year? Well, but I went there, believe it or not, I, I went there to study economics okay. because I had... a place to study economics. Yeah, that's exactly... When I was in high school um, and looking at colleges, and I had been getting interested in politics and realizing I'm never really going to understand politics without understanding economics. So I was the, the 16-year-old reading David Ricardo, not the most popular kid. And, um, but, and then was looking and thinking, all these Nobel Prize winners come from the University of Chicago. This seems like the best place to go if I want to really master economics so I can understand the world around me. It had not really occurred to me anything about sort of the politics of it. And now people, I think they say economics, University of Chicago, and they imagine, you know, this is like some bastion of, of uh, right wing economic theory and so on. That was completely alien to me. I was just thinking I should go to the best place. Um, and I got a national merit scholarship and I assigned it. You had to pick a school. And if, you had to pick that school and if you went to a different school you didn't get that whatever money that went there and um so i was all in on going to new york i applied early which meant if you got accepted you had to go like i was all in on new york chicago and i was really excited when i got in uh planning to study economics um and then when i got there like there were kids maybe i'm saying this to justify the fact that i never got an economics degree from the university of chicago but it did seem like there were kids who went to schools high schools that were sort of like colleges who were already doing very advanced math and and I, I should have, I guess, studied harder in high school and gotten to the AP calculus courses and all that, but I didn't. So I was starting from way behind. And uh, and I still sort of thought maybe I will um, uh, catch up. But in the meantime, I was really excelling in the philosophy class that I was in that was part of the Common Core. And it seemed like I was really good at this. And maybe I should do that. Um, and I didn't know exactly where that would end up, but it seemed like I was good at it and... Uh, um, I should focus on that. And so I had this whole plan. I was going to study German so I could read Kant and the German, and I was going to do the accelerated program and go to Köln to study all these big ideas, you know, and, uh, um, didn't do any of that either. I'm, I have to come up with who's, who's to blame for that. Uh, <laughs> well, let's <laughs> so, not go into so, who's to blame for So this. you went to, yeah. now, you've lived in Chicago since 2005? Yes. Okay. So what's, what's you your... like it. Well, no, I was going to say yeah. that's a long time. You like it's it. It's a long time. Yeah. So what's your favorite thing about Chicago? That's, I think about the things that kept me from leaving when I felt like maybe I should move on. You know, when I was realized I was here for 10 years. And one of the things is the music scene. And again, this is something that in New York I couldn't take as much advantage of because I didn't have any money. Um, and I felt, it seemed to me there were more sort of cover charges and drink minimums at some clubs in New York. Maybe I just imagined that, didn't know where to look. And in Chicago, it seemed there was a bunch of like pass the hat sort of shows. That seemed great, and now I think it's horrifying. Though, I mean, how are these musicians getting paid? Right, visitor, but when I had no money, it was as a know. fairly frequent visitor. Both cities, I think New York is generally more expensive than Chicago across the board. Music and other right, yeah. So the I'm music sh- scene—that's interesting because mm-hmm. uh, you don't hear a lot about the Chicago music. What was your favorite thing about New York? My favorite thing about New York. I mean, the thing about New York—it's hard to say. There's a single thing about it for me because. I mean, the fact that John forgot that I was from New Jersey, right? <laughs> Me, that I, I feel New York. I mean, it's hard. New Jersey's so strange state. Um, there's good things about it. I saw a horse get born 
in New Jersey. That's it's not just chemical fires and um, uh, Sopranos videos. Yeah, yeah. Um, but New York. What's your favorite thing about New York? But it, because it feels like a friend. Like when I go back there, I feel like there isn't like one thing I really like about John. I like John, right? Um, and New York sort of feels like that to me. And I and I um, the fact that it does feel like home. Even though I do know my way around better in Chicago without thinking about it, and the you know occasionally something changes on the subway lines in New York, and I you know, I know I'm an outsider, but there's there's things I like about New York, but I think I also like New York about New York that it feel it was also the place I went to have fun when I was a teenager. There was a bus that went the 191 on New Jersey Transit stopped in front of the house I grew up in and went to the Port Authority, um, and um, and so that's what we did. Um, and so every stupid thing you can do when you're young, I did there. A lot of the stupid things I did when I wasn't that young, I did there. Um, we'll lots of, uh, <laughs> right. Anyway, but, uh, yeah. And we, we didn't do always do, we, you know, we wandered around and we went to museums, we went to parks and, uh, but we just tried to sort of live and figure out what we were doing with ourselves. And we were young and dumb and excited and, um, probably more boring than we like to remember me and the people I, you know, sort of ran with at the time. So sort of what I like about New York is that it's part of my story and I like, I, and I feel very strongly about it. I still, I couldn't believe the way I reacted when there was the last, not the last, the, 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 the truck attack yeah. on the bike path. I, like I had a, like a panic attack the next day. I was at the gym yeah. and all of a sudden it was all I could think about. And I like had trouble breathing while I was doing box jumps. I finished the workout. Um, <laughs> Good. But uh, but it, I was surprised We're myself to, to have that because it, it was also this story about New York that she's we're like yeah whatever so somebody uh, you know but t- it was horrifying and it was so close to the World Trade Center and so on and I do love the 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 reflecting pools and everything there actually um, I don't know how to feel about Oculus um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but being and maybe maybe there is something a little bit hokey. Speaking of local references that people are, don't know New York. No, local yeah. people have no idea what the Oculus. Well, is. that's what I say. People, yeah. people yeah. who don't know are familiar with. The like Oculus. if someone asked you to where Cloudgate was in Chicago, right? right. And right. you you mean right. the Bean, right. right? That's what Oculus is. Um, right. But um, but yeah. So I think there's some of that, and it's probably more than I cared so to admit. Is yeah, it's is, is I mean, being it's, there, yeah. the the theme running yeah. is the, the thing you learn here is like history. Yeah. So, so that I... when it gets hurt, I feel like a friend got hurt, you know, and it's and the the fact that to, those mm-hmm. those uh that group of students came and got hurt and thinking are people going to think they don't want to go to New York and and yet if I say like well what would you do I mean there are things like um that movie theater Lincoln Center that's closing oh, I saw so many Lincoln movies Plaza, there yeah um just so Lincoln we're clear, Plaza Lincoln Center is not yeah. closing but the, the movie Lincoln theater Plaza near theaters, Lincoln Center right yeah which are near Lincoln yeah. Center are closing what yeah. was that what place it's, it's there just that film. It's a theater on the Upper West Side near the Lincoln Center, part, yeah. basically more or less the other side of Broadway, and it's a theater. It's a theater that is in a very Tony section of town and shows, you know, the typical Upper West Side fare. A lot of independent foreign films, always whatever the Woody Allen film is, blah 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 blah. I never I've saw any Woody Allen. Many. And it's so it's a large. It's a large venue. No, it's a two. I think it's two theater. May I don't remember, okay. but. It's not a large theater, but it's not part of a chain. Got it. So that makes it somewhat unique. And it's people on the Upper West Side go to the movies there. And mm-hmm. People who aren't <laughs> from the Upper West Side go to the movies there. But a lot of people from the Upper West Side go to the movies there. So when it was announcing that it's closed, it caused some consternation among the the people in the Upper West Side who don't like their world tampered with. So, so, in, ter- so in terms of the difference between the cities, I don't know structurally architecturally layout wise oh yeah you mentioned subways and getting around are there other i don't know the other things that stick out the grid i mean i was briefly a bike messenger in new york and so i really think about the grid when i think about the two cities the fact that no matter where you are uh, if you're on diversity you're at 2800 north that's a good idea (laughs) um (laughs) and uh when i was a messenger in new york um, we had this, we didn't have smartphones at the time, but we had this piece of paper that we all had that we carried around, except for the veterans who didn't need it anymore, that had the cross street um, chart. So you could see that if you were on 6th Avenue and, and 23rd Street, where what the number of the building was or what the number of the building of, was, where you, what your cross street should be, because there was no rhyme or reason to it. Um, 
and you could be at a building on on uh, one street and then walk a block over and it's a different number, right? Because they all started different places. And maybe part of that could be part of, you know, because it grew up as a, an organic entity instead of being plotted out. You can make all your arguments you want. But uh, man, the grid is a, is a fine idea. Yeah. The fact that if you're on the street, you're always at this point north or south, um, which would have made it a lot easier to deliver things. Um, so that, that's certainly so one you're saying thing. you'd rather be a bike messenger in Chicago than a bike messenger in New York. Is that what I'm hearing here? Uh, I don't know. I've, I've never it's been easier. a bike messenger in Chicago. I'm glad yeah. to hear you say that because I've only, I've lived in Chicago maybe 15 years total, not all in a row. And I've never lived in New York, but I've probably visited it a dozen times for various reasons. And I never, so it's hard to say because when you live somewhere else, of course, you're way more familiar with it. But I think Chicago is very easy to navigate. Chicago versus Philadelphia. Uh, well, that's a good question, too, because Philly's so small that I it found is smaller than Chicago Philly very right, easy so. to navigate without my car. And, um, and then there's Grand Rapids. That's yes, a tiny bit smaller as well. It is, right? but you know what? I think I know my way around Chicago and Philadelphia better than I know my way around Grand Rapids still. There you go. And maybe because I left Grand Rapids when I was 18 years old and didn't get around that and much. And vowed never to come back. That I, <laughs> and I'm now getting the hang of it. But it's not as, uh, it just doesn't make as much sense the way it's laid out. But as a visitor to New York, of course you find it, I find it super exciting and way more exciting than Chicago. There's better food, there's better museums, there's, but that maybe is just because uh, uh, I'm a visitor. As you know, I know people who live in New York and I'm a frequent visitor to New York. And I, many of the people I know that live in New York feel that the sidewalks in New York should have two distinct lanes, one for <laughs> people who live there and the other for tourists. Although, is that different in Chicago? I feel no, like there's lots of slow thing. walkers and Even lots today, of people who suddenly stop to look I in a window. I think in Chicago, generally, people are a little bit nicer to the tourists than they are in New York. But I don't know. Well, that's because the New Yorkers are constantly navigating the garbage on their streets, right? Isn't that, that, I mean, that's impossible <laughs> not to mention. We have to talk about alleys. It's like a 1980s movie. Hey, it's a great it's really level. Way. I mean, the fanciest restaurant or the worst some, they all have garbage and rats piled up in front of them. So I, I lived in Uzbekistan for a year, and when I came back, I went to an Uzbek restaurant in New York, and I never found one in Chicago. And I don't know huh. how hard I looked, but I didn't have to look hard in New York to go to an Uzbek <laughs> well, that, restaurant. It's interesting because I always thought that one of the unique advantages that New York City had over any city was that no, virtually any hour of the day or night, you could get any kind of food you wanted delivered to where you lived. I don't mean you, you, pizza everywhere, right? But you could get, I want Thai food. I want Indian food. I want this. You can all, now, of course, with these uh, delivery services, that advantage is receding, if not already gone. But for, for a long time, that was a truly unique thing about New York City because you can do that anywhere else. Is you could get pizza. Maybe you could get a hamburger, but you couldn't get any kind of food you wanted delivered to where you lived, certainly not any hour of the day. Or the, si the size of the si the the experience of getting food whenever you want it. Now that I'm in Shanghai, is I get what it must be like in New York. Cause it's the same in Shanghai, except in a city of 23 million people, where I am now. I cannot believe how it's become clear to me how Chicago and New York are far more alike than I had ever given them credit for and it's mainly because i'm in a city of 23 million and i say this all the time to the people i'm around in shanghai that the city feels small and it feels small because there isn't the street life there aren't the services there aren't the things happening on the street and part of the thing that is so appealing to me about new york is that is that exact that that, that clutter of things and people mm -hmm. and the clash of them all the time. And I'm, I often wonder how much that's tied to since I am in China and it's, you know, it's a socialist government and it's, you know, they're kind of central, they're claiming to be, I don't know, something, something less capitalist than America. Sure they claim to be socialist anymore. Do they? Still? Sure. Oh yeah. It's the word socialist everywhere, okay. all over everything. 
but they but there are there's no question there are fewer services and there's far less to do i mean the the, the places that look and smell and sound like a big city like a new york or chicago on a much smaller scale but nothing anything like new york are incredibly limited and they don't feel like it they feel like you know a busy neighborhood in st louis um so there is something and there goes our ratings in st louis i love st louis Love. Uh, oh yeah, St. Yeah. Louis is really. I mean, I was one of these people from the East Coast who I don't. I didn't think of it as flyover country because I never traveled, so I never flew over anything. But there was a sense that there was this vast Midwest, and it was the Midwest. And when I moved to Chicago, I quickly learned that there's Chicago, and St. Louis is not Midwestern the way Chicago is. In fact, there's there's ways it's Southern. I'm sure people in the South would say no, but. Um, but I learned a lot about St. Louis when I moved to Chicago. Certainly, uh, yeah, certainly an in between. I have a question because I know you mentioned that when you lived in New York, you were not, you didn't have a lot of money. Right. And obviously, well, I mean that's an issue no matter where you live. But in New York, it can be that issue can be accentuated because it's so expensive. Uh, is there a part of you that wishes at some point in time, if you had, were in a better financial position, to go back and try New York with more money and see if you? Oh yeah, yeah. I do think so much of how I feel about New York versus Chicago. I'm always aware that I didn't have the kind of disposable income to really be always ordering food any hour of the day. Although I, I do have a lot of memories of ordering Afghan food for delivery that just seemed like a normal thing to do. Right. right. Which maybe and wouldn't the fact seem... that that seemed normal, right? right? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, if you go to St. Louis, I'll bet you can't right. do that. Yeah. Or at least you couldn't. Now, maybe now you can. I don't know. But there was a time when that would have been strange. Yeah. But I would I think about it all the time about going back. Um, although I, th- I think the main when I think about the resources you need to live in New York versus Chicago or or a lot of other places, very often the question of roommates must you have a roommate? Because the the real estate I think I mean rent is exp- getting more expensive I think in Chicago. When I moved from New York to Chicago and started looking for apartments, uh, I thought they were all for rooms. They were for whole apartments. It said, you know, $500, $600, $800. And I was thinking, okay, I could live in a room in that neighborhood. And when I found out they were for like whole like 800 square foot apartments for like $550. So you were paying for an apartment. Would you and I couldn't, for a room couldn't believe it. Yeah, I just yeah. could not believe it. Um, and that's certain. I mean, now at this point, uh, that certainly rents are rising in some neighborhoods around here, certainly are rising maybe beyond what people can afford who've lived here for generations and so on. But in New York, I maybe because I never imagined living without roommates when I was there because of that. I mean, I was most for most of the time either a student or a recent student. And um, but I always, I sort of can't imagine living in New York without a roommate. I just assume that part of the lifestyle would be. And I know a lot of people, a good grown people. Who, right. Uh, my twin brother lives there without a roommate um, in Queens. Um, I do. I should have mentioned that. I do have family back there in Queens. My twin brother is in Queens, and then my uh, the rest of my family is in New Jersey. You're and a twin. I am. Yeah. Can you tell what your brother is thinking right now? <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, he's hoping that I won't embarrass the family. No, he's Does just he hoping I won't embarrass the him. Podcast uh, avidly. Because if he doesn't listen to the podcast, I wouldn't worry about it. So, um, John mentioned something about symphonies that you guys have talked oh, about right. symphonies. So, I just want to tell a quick story about because I lived in Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And I lived in Chicago. And Uzbekistan. And I grew up with a, a, a musical family, so the symphony was always part of our what we did. Um, but John and I have a mutual friend who was trying to feel me to see if he was going to like me or not. And we had got into one of these alcohol-fueled debates. And it was about symphonies. And I said that the Philadelphia uh, Symphony Orchestra was rated like the best symphony in the country and he vehemently was like no way it's never better than chicago it would never be better than new york and i now, was like whatever now the uh, eugene ormandy was the great <clears throat> philadelphia right yeah, yeah and wasn't it george uh george salty yeah and the then, great chicago and conductor, daniel right? barenboim okay him. all right okay i just know the ones from the old days because i'm old well he went home and looked it up <laughs> okay. and he called me and said i like you because you're right and then we've been <laughs> friends ever since and that was the, such the weirdest argument does he I, like like you or no he, he likes no, we're okay. friends we're right. friends but if you had been wrong then he would have been right but he wouldn't have liked then he would have dated her it, then it, he would have actually like, dated her he liked her for being right but that was kind of a disqualification for dating. It gave me some kind of credibility that right. I just found so I can bizarre. see that. And can, can you guess who this is? No. 
And don't you, I'm trying. Don't I'm you like it when men out. give you credibility because you're right? Because yeah. and I'm never 100 percent about anything, and I can't even give you like a, we love a favorite anything. I have to give you my top five right. because I just can't commit to those. I, what, what's coming up for me is is what you're talking about is how much, and I'm realizing this is part of what appeals to me of Sharon talking about Chicago, and New York is there is a part of me, and I'm not sure if this is my upbringing or somewhere else. There's a part of me, I actually I think this is a Jane Austen thing. Which is that it's never it's never Jane Austen. Apparently. It's never tasteful to brag about things you have that are yours. So if it's your hometown, if it's your spouse, it's kind of uncouth to brag about something that you already have because it's it's potentially bragging. I don't think it's uncouth to brag about your spouse. Well, but I think, but I, but, but there's, there, there's, I mean, not I'm trying just to think of the spouse, actual Jane Austen quote, I'm struggling person. with it. But, but I don't think, I think it's actually kind of nice to hear someone brag about their spouse. Okay. Well, my story doesn't really have anything to do with Chicago versus New York, but I wanted to hear what your story is about why you guys, what, what about symphonies? Were you uh, talking, debating? How'd you get on that topic? When I first met Sharon, we were going to see the Chicago Symphony Orchestra with my husband, who was friends with Sharon before we met. And <clears throat> I knew I had not been to the symphony for years. I, I think I had made the decision to go primarily to I, I made the decision. I, I preferred theater and I always have. But I started to go with these guys and discovered that they were they were having these elaborate <laughs> discussions about like different conductors and and composers who I and I had no I had no idea. I mean I you know I was um, I had a, I have a friend in Barcelona who said you know I really think I like symphonies but I, I I'm not but I don't like violins and I I, I, I I didn't make a comment that stupid but I that that but he but actually I, meant violence <clears throat> as well that's possible as well uh, but I was close to it so that was the kind of the starting point for I think that's when we first started hanging out I think it might have been although I th Ted was in Avondale that th I think it was I think when we all started hanging out and Eva was there too so it was we bought of, packages for the CSO classical music I am I, I was raised listening to only classical music so for a long know, time you know the name Tuscanini I do I just finished recently reading a massive biography of Tuscanini which was interesting huh? because he started he was born in 1867 Started conducting when he was like 19 or 20. Conducted up until he died in 1957. Is he from Tuscany? Uh, no, I think he's from uh, Parma, if I remember correctly. Uh, but he conducted up until he was in his late 80s, until he's almost 90. No, late 80s. And was during the middle part of the 20th century, he was easily the most famous conductor in the world because he... Conducted in those days, NBC Radio had their own symphony orchestra, and he conducted a weekly thing, which literally millions of people can you imagine millions of people tuning into classical music every week? That's what was happening in the United States d during the 30s, 40s, and even into the early 50s. And uh, so he was like, he was a household name. Now I recently asked my children who. You know, not Rhodes Scholars, but not the worst of their generation. And none of them had heard of Tuscanini. I hope they're not uh, listening. None of them had heard of Tuscanini, by the way. So. Are you a Tuscanini fan? I'm, I don't know that I feel strongly. Um, but you, you would agree that at one time he was yeah, considered Yeah, that this was head. a big personality, he, right? Well, he's yeah. a big personality, and also he, he was famous, and he was also, he, just a, a small example, he direct, he conducted the very first world premiere performance of the opera La Boheme at, at La Scala in, um, in Italy when he was like, I don't know, he was like in his 20s when that happened. And then he was, and, and part of it is that he, uh, all his experiences with various people, like for example, uh, many of the great conductors of the later part of the 20th century either at one point had some interaction with him or they worked for him or something like that. So he was this seminal figure. So I had already knew a little bit about him, but I read this recent biography, which was fascinating. So, so my experience with Sharon with classical music was that I was sitting mainly, we had at the time, um, um, my husband had season tickets. They had season tickets and I was the third behind the orchestra right. at symphony hall. And I 
for whatever reason, was exhausted during the performances and was pretty consistently falling asleep during the performances and getting elbowed very heavily. So that, so my recollection is that, and then then during the breaks, when one would think one would have an escape from the from <laughs> the music, having to endure vigorous conversation about what was going on and how it how it failed or succeeded. So that's that's. I did uh, not know either that you were falling asleep or that you were thinking of words like endure. And escape. As we were talking. So but, when you were in New York or in New Jersey fine. for that matter, did you have much chance to go to the symphony and stuff in New York? Well, I actually um I worked for the New York String Orchestra seminar. Oh, well, uh so go. I got a chance to interact a lot with the classical music scene. Wow. Um uh so when I was in school at the new school, uh the new at the time it was called New School University and we all Regretted that I had that foolish my, name. Uh, one of my children graduated from Yeah, school, and now so. I think they've rebranded it somehow. To... It's called the Now We Done You for Money Every Week. There's, yeah, I don't want to talk trash about the new school. But I just remember there was something about new school university that just seemed like uh, an educated person wouldn't say that. Um, uh, like Chai Tea or whatever, right? right. Um, but anyway, so <laughs> I was at the new school. Say chai Tea? In, because it's TT, right? I got it. So school so university. So you're against chai tea. I'm not against chai tea. I'm not the yeah. product, but against the phrase. I'm not tea. against the phrase either, because I think in here in our current culture, but there's something to, to people can, who know, you know that chai is you're tea. You're allowed to say something controversial because no one listens to this podcast. <laughs> but I'm, but it's my true. soul. No one does. But my soul. The only people who are hearing this are in this room. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's sort of things that you sort of the you know face palm. I think is the phrase people use. Do you think that being university. on this podcast is good for your soul or bad for your soul? <laughs> Um, Don't I think it's what I do with it. I think I'm going to take the responsibility on myself. Okay, so which what might are be you good for my soul. Um, are you going to tell everyone that you should never come on this podcast? No, I'm going to tell people experience? it's a it's a great time. Up right up until you start getting interrogated about whether or not <laughs> well, you know, that's what I mean. Right, that's the point where you got to make them an excuse and leave. So, which reminds, so is New York or Chicago more soulful? Soulful. Yeah. Oh well. Oh God. That opens up a whole other thing about music and soul and Bob Abrahamian. Right. Should we finish the New York String Orchestra seminar? I'm sorry. Yes, story first. Yeah. Do that first because I was actually is, really uh, curious about that. Story. That's some heavy. It gets it gets heavy with the soul scene. But the the <laughs> but the on classical music and the New York String Orchestra seminar. I don't know how interesting this is as a story because it's just sort of I, it's just a, a thing I did. But the new the new school. <laughs> we're gonna get this all out in editing and replace it with animal noises. Um, but uh. So the new school, the, the, the college and university, had this relationship with Alexander Schneider and the Schneider Chamber Music Series and this New York String Orchestra Seminar, which took promising young musicians and gave them master classes um, with uh, um, accomplished veteran musicians. And they performed a concert at Carnegie Hall on Christmas, Christmas Eve, I think. And I got to bring my mother to Carnegie Hall on Christmas Eve, which I felt really good about, um, which I could do because I, I worked at this place. Um, and uh, so part of the work was uh, the, the the concert series. I did a lot of like serving cheese and wine. We always had the same cheese every time. And people would say, oh, what? This, this is delicious. It was, a, it was a blue cheese and there was a, a brie that we all got. We got from Murray's Cheese Shop. Um, so part of it. And actually, we had to wake up a lot of people during the slow movements. You know, just that was part of like politely making sure someone woke up. Um, that was rough. Oh, uh, was, I mean, yeah, I'm sure they all We just were worried that just someone like would, would wake up with a start. Ah! And then the musicians well, would stop sure and they'd they stare at you. Not, in fact, and, died yeah. during the performance, and that uh, would be another set. Yeah, that could be. Fortunately, well, that was going to be my but... question when we finish this one because I think there's an age difference between who goes to classical music in New oh, yeah. York and Chicago. Well, that um, could be, and oh. I, I, I feel like I've you, noticed you that agree myself. With what he just said. Oh, I just thought that could be. He make statements that are not true, so you're free to. We could probably them. try and check some stats on it. But the New York Times was somewhere. The point was that I was able to interact a little bit more because she with has the scene. a soul. She doesn't want to yeah. come around and say you just made that up, John. So she's basically saying that she thinks you're foolish. But I was, I mean, I was working in this thing that was had a history, and there were people who had been going there for a long time. So inevitably, there was some, you know, people who weren't alive when the Alexander Schneider chamber music concert series was available might not have ever heard of it but there were quite a few students who were there grad yeah. students and other students um so i don't actually know i wonder if that's the case um, i mean i my, my dominant memory of living in paris and in amsterdam one of my dominant memories in yeah, both of those locations was was the student were the were the number of people i saw walking around with instruments and hmm. either playing them in public places like under the arcades at Place Vosges or in Amsterdam at the 
brand new, beautiful conservatory that was right next to the brand new, beautiful public library, all steel and glass boxes. And I just remember thinking, this is the sign of a cultured place. There's more going on here artistically. better in Europe. Well, no, but I noticed it also in New York. I definitely noticed it. You don't see it, you know, you don't see people doing it on the street because they're competing with the taxi horns but you definitely see the instruments and you see the music and in the all subway around you. in the subway and in the subway for sure right yeah. so you so you so th- there there was a connection there that um was classy but answer the soulful question yeah like that seriously right. let's get yeah. down well i actually don't can't remember a single instance of paying to see a classical music concert in new york city so you got and i think that might no well yeah except for that um, so I, cool. I, I think that might have been another case of it was something where Two you got to get the clothes to wear, you got to get the tickets, you got to get the, yeah, and maybe I didn't do it, or maybe there were some other reasons. Um, but which city is more soulful? But, well, yeah, and I really associate Chicago a lot with soul and soul music, because I when I was at the University, the University of Chicago, um, uh, there was another student there named Bob Abrahamian, and I didn't know him really well, but I always really liked and admired him. He seemed to be good everything in this way that was effortless but you knew it wasn't effortless you knew he worked at it and um uh and he seemed like uh um i don't know i always liked bob and um was a little intimidated by him i was not much of a musician or really and like i said i had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder maybe when i realized i didn't quite have the educational background as a lot of the other undergraduates and i didn't i always regret that i wasn't more sort of humble and acknowledging hey i don't know a lot of things and you guys do i'd like to learn from you instead of sort of trying to fake it a little bit and hide it a little bit and bob was one of these people who brought that out that like anxiety out in me but was also just seemed like he was a creative guy and um and he uh he was a soul music historian he collected and collected all these um old 45s and he would he would clean them up and 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 repair them if they were damaged and sometimes he would give them to the artist who didn't have a copy of their own single and things like this. He, um, and he had a radio show called Sitting in the Park on um, WHPK for a long time. I think he had it for 12 years and never repeated a song. And it was all Chicago, and he's really into the sweet soul. And he knew so much about so many of the tracks, and he would tell stories. But if he didn't, he had this great way of saying, um, this song was released on this label, which I don't know anything about. And you sort of got this sense, maybe if you did know him or didn't, that he was going to find out. He planned to find out because right now, but he wouldn't make it up. And, he was, and there was something about the Tony said, which I know nothing about because it was, it was so he's got a radio show about music and he's playing a song. He knows nothing about what? And he like, acknowledged that. But you also had this feeling he's going to know something about it in a couple hours. you know. Um, and Bob passed away a couple years ago, um, which is sort of heavy. You know, I didn't I wasn't close with him. I saw him once when I came back. Since So I was in Chicago for school in 1997, 1998. I came back in 2005. At some point in like 2009 or something, I don't remember exactly. I, I was at a party and he was there and we talked a little because he was always thanked on um, all these compilation records uh, that uh, that Numero does, the Eccentric Soul. In fact, I went to Sweden and visited some friends uh, and they had a copy of the the Good God, the the a gospel compilation. There it said, I go across the ocean to Sweden, and I see it says, "Thank you, Bob Abraham." Man, this guy's really got a lot of influence. And his radio shows are fantastic. I still listen to him. His sister keeps him up, which is a great blessing uh, for the rest. So, of us. so, so you're defining soul as soul. So when music I yeah, so if you say so, as soon as you say soul okay. in Chicago, New York, I you think of soul and soul music. So whether one city or another is more soulful, as opposed to life force in the body or something. Like yeah. That. And I don't know. I mean, that's now, hard to. How would Kant define soul? Mm-hmm. Since you were great at philosophy. The, what's the uh, what are the <laughs> conditions for the possibility of having a soul? There you go. Um, that's uh, our friend Emmanuel. <laughs> He'll be on the next podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> but in terms of like that sense of like a soul, like a sense of a vibrancy or a life force, then uh, the fact that one of the things I love about Chicago is the music scene, and the fact that. Um, you know, there are these people who define the city for me. I mean, I can't say it's not soulful, but there's this overwhelming need to explain why New York is more soulful as soon as I say that, because it just seems like um, it's so teeming with a certain energy. And, uh, um, but then it's, you know, it's where you are and what you bring to it, I guess. I don't know. It'd be hard to, as soon as I want to say one city is more soulful, I want to stand up for the other one. So uh, the other, one of the other musical, um, 
entrees that Sharon gave me and really more my partner in, in Chicago has been the kind of experimental jazz scene for lack of a better yeah. phrase. And that's what so I that's mean kind of, when I yeah, say the music scene. Right, exactly. That's <laughs> right. what you say. She's, I, I so that's your about. favorite kind of music is jazz? Well, now, so well every time I, I'm asked for superlatives or whatever, I'm going to say, well, on the other I hand. Did, I just said favorite. I but, uh, no, I think when I, but when I say music scene in Chicago, I mean the jazz scene. I don't know if jazz is my favorite. Um, but you're into jazz. But I'm into it. Right. But I'm also especially into the performance of the live performance. And I don't listen to it quite as much. Um, maybe I do listen to it quite a bit, but not as much, I think, at home. So so when you talk about the the jazz scene in Chicago, what venues come to mind? Oh, well, of course, there's a, a <laughs> the Hungry Brain is where I spent some long nights, which is just a bar in Roscoe Village. Um but they had so when I I don't remember how I found out about Umbrella Music, but there was an organization possibly, but definitely a website that would show the jazz listings for the Hungry Brain on Sunday nights. Elastic, which at the time was a tiny little space above Friendship Chinese Restaurant on Milwaukee Avenue, on I think Thursday nights, and the Wednesdays the Hideout had something called the Immediate Sound series. The and Hideout recently out. popularized in the movie that you liked. Um, the movie that you told me was one of your favorite movies, the Jim. Big the, last, the Big Sick. The movie, the, the hideout being the place where that comedian, right, uh, Camille Nanjiani, yeah. popularized his cheese jokes in Chicago <laughs> that were then broadcast. That was at the hideout. Just to tie, make a little tie into another another film. But okay, keep going. That's John's one thing that he actually listened to something I said on one of the podcasts. Didn't your brother play at the hideout? He did. Oh, where did your brother play at the hideout? Yeah. What did he play? When did he play? Oh, that? years ago. When I still lived here, years ago. Years ago. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago, was it, Peggy? Mm, at least six, seven years ago. Well, six years ago. I mean, you know. I don't know. But anyway, that's I the only one of those three places that ago. I've heard so of. Yeah, Elastic has since moved to a much nicer space above the Family Dollar Store on Diversity and... <laughs> That when I hear Family Dollar Store, I think much nicer. It space. really is that's much nicer. Really, yeah, that's the first thing that pops into my head when I hear the words Family Dollar Store. I think nicer space. See again, I'm being, I'm killing somebody's soul by saying that. I'm sure, but you know, but it actually is. I'm a lot basically nicer. a very bad person. All right, so in New York, venues of similar jazz quality. I mean, this is yeah. I mean, there was uh, was it tonic. I mean, I didn't really go out as much because I. I mean, there was. But there's certainly jazz clubs. Oh yeah, York. yeah. Um, but I didn't go to them. I think because I think I would look and see that there was like a cover and a drink so minimum, and I would run away. Go back to New York for so, a visit. Hit all those jazz yeah. clubs. And, and I did. I do go to the Stone when I visit New York, which is the probably the closest, and it's where the Chicago guys tend to play. I think when they go, is this place called the Stone? Where's that? It's like the John Zorn place. It moved too. It used to be. It moved. I think it moved to something some... is where it used to be. <laughs> yeah, as Heraclitus, another famous philosopher, yeah, said, can't... you can't step into the same river mm -hmm. twice. Yeah, there you go. Because but... they moved it to the other. Oh, place. I think they moved it to a place that is somehow associated with the new school to wrap it all together. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, and the very notion of newness itself indicates. Well, and when you talk about money, so when you said you didn't pay for anything to see any classical music in New York, I mean. Even in my little town of Grand Rapids, Michigan, I think it, it costs $45 to go to the symphony. It's crazy. Mm. So when you're talking about different age groups, I mean, when you go to the symphony, it's old people. $45 is what it costs to park for an hour in New York. Yeah, well, so, th know, but that's, that's expensive for somebody who just is, has a new job and right out of college. And it's hard to get young people to spend their money on that kind of stuff. I don't know very much about music or certainly nothing about classical music other than I can tell you a lot about Tuscany. Right. But, um, is the same problem with theater, right? Is yeah, that it's so it's expensive, it's very difficult for young people to go to theater. Well, and theater is still, and theater is still different. I mean, when I when I lived in Amsterdam, Amsterdam did have classical music on almost every night of the week in different venues, and it was very cheap still. Um, you know, you could go for eight dollars, ten dollars, and see a show. You would have great seats. You're you're pretty far up, but you would you know you'd get in, you get your obligatory glass of free wine during the intermission with a cheese cube mm -hmm. um and uh and and you could listen to one of the names that was on the wall um around around the around the the, the room but the, but the, i feel like there's there's a th that's kind of why i was asking about the age differential was i was curious about whether 
New York was able is able to do because I don't I've never seen anything classical in New York whether they're able to do what I did see a little bit more in Paris and in Amsterdam which was attracting younger audience by I don't know if they're subsidizing it I don't know what they're doing but by by keeping it alive that way well it's also what I mean if you're performing acts exclusively from the 19th century it can sometimes be hard to attract younger people maybe um so but I that, that's not a, not meant to be a dig. My um, mother went to see but, Harry Potter music playing yeah, at the CSO a couple of weeks sold ago. Out in Grand and my mother, time. who did not, who would have only, in the past like only gone to see the Messiah and enjoyed that only as classical music, or I think a few other limited number of songs that the Boston Philharmonic might play, she loved it and thought it was fantastic. So I think that there's probably there's there's clearly an audience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, they have like the composers in residence at the CSO, and we 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 heard a piece that was. Um, you know, it, it sounded like it was re- it was composed and recently, and it was interesting and didn't sound like something. And we listened to so much in the background in movies, you know, things that I think would have been. Um, I think a lot about. And I don't. I don't like constantly think about this, but it occasionally occurs to me like that people would like walk out of Ornette Coleman's performances, right? Because they were this cacophony. And we hear way more dissonant stuff. Like if you're, if someone's found a bomb in a movie, you hear all these, you know, tritones and dissonance because you're being advi- you know, advised to think a certain, oh, we should be scared or whatever. I think that's constantly in the background. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, uh, sort of challenging music that I think could be very appealing to people who aren't turned off by it because they hear it all the time. It may be there. I mean, there was a Philip Glass string quartet in the background of a GMC, com- some car commercial. And the whole commercial was about how things could be better and you shouldn't just accept that you can be, that you, you know, you're good at your job and your family loves you. You can have more, you know? So they had this piece that has like unresolved phrases, right? And it's ridiculous, I guess, but it's still that people will listen to Philip Glass while they're shopping for cars and people will listen to um, very strongly dissonant intervals with chords and everything in yeah. movies. And so people will put up with that and even enjoy it. And maybe it's more interesting than these very consonant melodies because you've also heard those in the background a million times. So I don't know. It does seem like there's one thing with the... It's just the age. I don't know if there's um, you know, some danger in just doing... You mentioned Ornette Coleman. Mm-hmm. What, tell, tell us what you think about Ornette Coleman. I like Ornette Coleman. I mean, I think... Well, what, I, what, I, what I think what about is... What's the name? I'm trying to remember the name of what he... Harmelotics. Harmelotics. Yeah, he developed right. this whole other sort of right. system for understanding so what was Harmelotics? I, I feel like... I don't know if I'm going to be able to give a description. You're going to be better than life. anyone else. It's going to be room. embarrassing. Sure. Yeah. Go for it. yeah. No, I don't. I really don't think I can. I can Come on. Well, muster. How do, you, how do you experience the... it? How do you? What do you think of it? Well, I mean, the, the um... you like it. So, what do you like about it? Um. <laughs> what do I like about it? I've only um, listened to Ormond Coleman a couple of times, but I think it's very interesting. Yeah, it is, and it, it is interesting, and in, and in maybe in to follow on what I was saying that it isn't. It doesn't necessarily do what you expect it to do um, uh, musically uh, the way you would be anticipating um, like a like a jazz tune to follow a certain chord progression or something, even, um, uh, you know, a more challenging one. It, it, so it sort of blows up a lot of what you expect, but it doesn't sound like noise to me, although maybe it would have sounded like noise to me at the time because I, I have this feeling, this understanding that at some point people listened to this and it sounded like noise. And it doesn't sound like, and I like listening to noise. I when I was, I think I was sixteen or well, seventeen. Then you should live in New York. And right, <laughs> but there some group of friends of mine had like a pool to bet when I would start listening to just static on the radio because I was listening to more and more sort of dissonant, noisy stuff. Like and industrial they, music, you listen to industrial music. No, like Edgar Varese and and noisy, noisy contemporary music. You know, um, not noisy, but. Uh, I can't um, remember the first time I heard Japanese noise music, music but I remember right. it was my yeah. brother when Merch I was a Bow, teenager. Right? Yeah. Um, but I actually had started listening to Static on the radio before any of them even thought of it, so they all lost. Um, because, you know, they get these beeps. Less so now, I feel like there's probably more of the spectrum is full. But you could get some nice little spots where there was some interesting static with some beeps and buttons. So you still buttons. listen to the old <laughs> terrestrial radio? Oh, yeah, in the car. You know, you're driving the car and you're looking for something and there's nothing on you really want to listen to because you don't, you don't have... This was, you know, the 90s, I guess. So uh, what about now? Do you listen to the radio now? I do. When I drive, I usually uh, do. I I think I usually listen to Sirius Satellite Radio. I have a, okay. 
a car. With so what do you? What in. channel do you listen to on Sirius Satellite right now? I I actually no. I stick right around the country music stations because wow. you can listen to real like the that's not like trash country. I mean, again, I don't want to throw anyone under the bus. Please, here, but a lot of modern under the bus country. I just can't listen to it. Doesn't Garth Brooks throw actually, him under the bus just right now. now when well, you get Garth a Brooks is like oh, like from a million years ago. He has a station though on Sirius. Um, but the Willie Nelson station is the one. Willie's Roadhouse is the one I stick to. So you go a Willie's lot. Roadhouse, uh, and uh, and I love that stuff. It actually, I came here from a guitar lesson, and the my guitar teacher was just saying that your guitar can, teacher is Willie Nelson. Who is Willie Nelson? Right? Yeah, he's yeah, he's got a certain spirit, Willie spirit, but he's not Willie Nelson. Um, but he uh, he said you can tell by the drums in these modern country songs that uh, when it's not country music, you know, and there is this sort of rock drum style that it just oh, it's not well, it's sort of there's a convergence, yeah. right? I mean. Taylor Swift sort of started out a little bit countryish, but she's clearly a pop musician. Yeah, there's a lot of and these big names, I guess, right. out in that, and there's a lot of there's a lot of Kelly controversy Clarkson around all of it. A little bit, Gary um, Underwood, a little bit. But I love I love the outlaw country scene and you know Towns Van Zant and Guy Clark and all this uh, and a lot of the old Steve Earle? Hank yeah Steve I saw Steve Earle at the at the we were in the same hotel in in Nashville for the Guy Clark Memorial concert. He was looking for a yoga mat. Uh, <laughs> About two blocks from where we are currently recording this, um, Brandy Carlisle mm-hmm. played on New Year's Eve a couple of years ago, and, and I had seen her a couple of years earlier in Colorado, I, just a coincidentally a show, and I was, and it was one of those genre busting shows that made me realize I had no idea. Pardon me. Did you go two years ago? No, I wasn't here that New Year's Eve, but I, they were. It was she was yes. she was playing at um, Thalia yes, Hall right around yes. the corner. Yes, I yeah. almost came to that show. I, I saw C. Real there <laughs> at Thalia Hall. Do you have a favorite song? Oh, I think I do. Um, probably not. I mean, if you looked at my it's, playlist, you just say probably not. Probably not. But if you looked at my playlist, it would probably have to be a Pet Shop Boys song. <laughs> Peggy, do, do you have a favorite song? No, I have a top five. <laughs> okay, your top five. Of course, we went through this already. I want your top five. Yeah. Um. I love the only living boy in New York. Oh, cute! I love the boxer. Oh, so is, like, is it like a Paul Simon uh-huh. all top five? Yes. Okay. Um, I love American Tune. <laughs> um, I think I love April Comes She Will, and let's see, what would the fifth one? Hearts and Bones. I don't know any of those songs except the boxer. <laughs> I don't either. Who are those? Uh, my favorite song is "To Serve with Love" by Lulu. Oh, what uh, what's your favorite song? Jean? I just I gave you I asked you last so you would have time and I didn't need to time the soul rending <laughs> thing of figuring it out before. And you I'm had... sure I'll, I mean because it just so happens that a few days ago I think I said out loud this is my favorite song in the whole world and, and what is it? It's "Hard Times" as performed by Ray Charles and and um, David Newman, and I actually just found a copy of it on vinyl. And a best of David Newman collection. I was shopping for a Christmas present for my older brother, and I found that. It was like three bucks, this promotional thing, and it said Hard Times. And I was like, I've always wanted this on vinyl. And uh, and then uh, Nick Mazzarella and the Meridian Trio Plus One played it when I went to the Andy's Jazz Club last Monday. It was, <laughs> it was weird, but they didn't have Ray Charles. Um, that would, that would but it's David Fathead Newman playing out there. Magic if they had mm-hmm. Ray Charles, right? At the club that would have been all kinds of magic, yeah. yeah. Uh, but and I don't know why. Uh, I feel like there must be something I'm blocking about why because it's it's just weird. But I love it, and I haven't turned that record over because I keep listening to side one because I want to listen to Hard Times again. Um, Did you ever see the movie Almost Famous? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you like that movie? I I think so. Big fan <laughs> I, of that movie. I saw there's, it. There's yeah. a part in that movie where the young man who's like 17 years old who's interviewing the rock star is actually sitting down to have the interview. The whole movie, he's been trying to get him to sit down and interview. He finally gets him to sit down. And the first question he asks him is this, and I'm going to ask you the same question. What is it that you love about music? Yeah, that... Uh, <laughs> it's, it almost sounds like... Like, to, like, I'm like, do you understand what music is? To Like, what do I love about music? Music is what love is. Music, like, how would you be able to talk about love without music? How would you be able to, to and I understand that. That's a terrific are, answer. Yeah. yeah, and I. That's a terrific answer, in my opinion. It's so, I try, yeah, it is. That's um, a great answer. I'm going I'm yeah. to steal that and what claim did it as mine. It's movie? sort of a cop-out, because I don't you know what he says? Say, he yeah. has a great thing. He says, what does he say? To begin with, 
everything. Yeah. Yeah. But it almost seems like that's redundant because what is anything without me? And I know there are people who don't aren't moved by music. I understand this that there is this thing where some people, or that there are there are religious not real people. That's yeah, but there are people apart. who refuse to listen to music. I met a couple. A friend of mine got married, and his no music. wife's grandparents or something won't go anywhere where there's music, which was especially starting <laughs> is it a startling to me. Thing they don't believe I think, or maybe it's a cult, you know sometimes it's hard to to unwind the religion and cultural things of why people believe what they do, but. But so much music is um, is religious, and so much of the way humans find ways to give praise to whatever deity or force is music, right? So that was, it always sort of confounded me that. But there's this thing with Quakers too in music, and I guess. Um, Do you like rap? I, um, I like Kid Cudi. This is um, I never listened. I did. I I hadn't been able to understand hip-hop in a way that i could listen to it enjoy it but i want every genre of music i I used to not understand country music and i started playing country music songs on my guitar and now i love country music so you're not singing hamilton soundtrack in your car i did see hamilton um but it's not yeah i don't have in chicago or new york in chicago um didn't connect with you the music it did well yeah no i mean that's the thing as a genre well part of it is what well the reason i brought up kid cuddy is because um my now ex-boyfriend Paul was a little disappointed when I when I finally got into something that was hip hop. It was Kid Cudi because Kid Cudi is sad, <laughs> and everything I listen to. I mean, this is part of the attraction of country music. There are these out, like ostentatiously sad songs, like Ray Price, poor guy. You know, women did him wrong. You know, it seems like, yeah. Price. Willie Nelson just did a did a, a tribute album. Famous, yeah, uh, and that was what he called you know, for, Before he became famous as a performer, Willie Nelson actually uh, wrote a lot of songs for country music stars back in the '60s. He first came to prominence as a writer of songs. He's a great writer. He's a great songwriter. Um, but uh, so is that why you and Paul broke up? Is because you didn't like rap music? Is that <laughs> the real reason? Yeah. Hip hop. Mm-hmm. Hip hop. I'm sorry. Rap. I'm so out of it. What can I say? I well, said no, I don't know the rap. Didn't, she didn't make yeah, the. Yeah, right, she didn't make yeah. the judgment about rap. She made the judgment call about hip hop, okay. and it wasn't trash talk. It was just a critical, normal. I, judgment. I, you know, but also, I need to I like. I really like yeah. trash talk. So well, I like Kanye talk. too, and I uh, okay. against all odds or whatever. Like, so much people. Some people find him hard to take. You know, Tyler Cowen really likes Kanye. This uh, economist says he does the Marginal Revolution blog. But you like him as um, a, his music, not necessarily as a person. I don't know him as a person. He has a certain performance of a personality that uh, that could be, be could overlap could be more or less with who he is, sometimes. but uh, but I do like listening to Kanye. You know, the truth is, uh, the I listen to the most hip hop at the gym. I go to a gym that plays a lot of you know you need that beats per minute, and I feel like that's not good for my appreciation of hip hop because it's so utilitarian. <laughs> the point is that it should be because someone once was playing an Elton John song during a workout, and everyone was like, "What? How am I supposed to work out to this?" <laughs> And in some ways, it's too interesting. Well, does you know? it depend on the Elton John song? What about you can work out to Saturday <laughs> Night's All Right for <laughs> Fighting, right? I suppose. This was, um, I'm trying to remember what song it was. I mean, maybe a little bit hard to Daniel Here. might be yeah. not good for a good workout. Do you but... watch TV or go to movies? Ah, not, not a whole lot, I was going to say, we need time if you're reading all these music blogs and all right, yeah. guitar lessons. And... Well, I mean, I think she's having a good time. I know. I'm just wondering. I, I don't like, actually. I Sometimes enough. I get... Um, I always feel that I'm way. I'm not reading her. enough. I can't... Uh... Are we, are we are we probably close to finishing? <laughs> We're up. very close to finishing. But I actually, I thought we should uh, stop for a minute. and, and... Well, let's thank like Sharon yeah. for being here because yeah. it was great. Yeah. Well, yeah, we want to... Thanks, Sharon, for being here, obviously. She, I mean, it's incredibly fun, and all the same reasons that Peggy's saying she's blown away by everything Sharon does yeah. is why I spend time with Sharon I and I'm blown away every and, time and I talk I, to her. I'm going to say right now, we got to have Sharon back. I want to spend more time with stuff. Sharon. So more, I mean, I didn't, I, more it, it, it makes me feel, inc- I'm, as we're talking, I'm like, why didn't we just talk about music? But it's okay. Um, we, we obviously. <laughs> well, I think lot, I said, oh my God, talk. I can't talk about music. I'll say something stupid. That's when you asked me well, to talk about music. the next time we'll talk about <laughs> why, uh, we'll talk about like some, we'll have some topic on music. We can be a little more narrow, yeah, I think, now. We can, you know, we can drill down. According, what I just heard is music is everything. So if we're talking about music, we're talking about everything. Or love. And, and love. Uh, Music is music the condition is for the possibility of anything. Well, there you go. <laughs> to get Kantian. So voila. There you go, Kantian. <laughs> there so you it's go. a categorical imperative, basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> That's oh, boy. my favorite. So, well, so thanks, Sharon. Um, but I thought we would also take uh, take a minute at the end of the podcast today to um, to talk about Peggy's dad, who um, we lost um, very recently. 
and was a fabulous musician in his own right. And, um, you know, I, I, um, my husband and I met him, well, I've met him on several, many occasions, but my husband and I met him and had a fantastic time where with him playing his, with his playing his, I guess it wasn't jazz. What were they playing? They played time. something classical. They played something classical yeah. though. And it was, uh, and it was an incredibly fun time. And, um, you know, I just, I, I think it's, uh, it was, it's one of the, it's, it's one of those important uh, important moments to stop and kind of reflect on where we are. And I just really wanted to tell Peggy, I, you know, what a fantastic time I had knowing her dad. Thanks, John. And I was, as this uh, podcast changed over from New York to Chicago to music, I was thinking how kind of fitting that was. Yeah, it was two weeks ago today that he died unexpectedly, and it's been a kind of a blur of two weeks. I know John suffered a unexpected loss of his father too i've been doing lots of thinking of what's worse the sudden hmm. versus the long drawn out when you get a chance to have closure and there is no no answer we had a really nice tribute his friend from new orleans came from the Dukes of Dixieland and played his favorite song, which is Do You Know What It Means to Miss New Orleans? Oh, that's fantastic. And then yeah. played A Closer Walk with Thee with a bass, string bass, and a piano player, and then all those people went to my mom's house and just played for two more hours in their living room, and it was, he would have loved it. That's cool. Yep. Well, we want to, well, I thought we'd leave today with a little bit of your, uh, your dad's music. So uh, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next year. See you next year. Thanks. Thank <laughs> you.